It is Thursday, October the 5th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What She Said podcast. Getting this one out a little bit early this week, doing some traveling this weekend, so um, my schedule will be a little bit off, but you guys will all have the same content that you normally will. On this episode, we are going to talk NFL Week 5 with Eric, game previews for all 14 games. We've already had a few buys uh, now starting this week. Then after that, we'll get into the racing portion of this episode. We'll start with Friday, Keeneland, Santa Anita. And Woodbine, Keeneland is opening day. We've got some best bets there. Early pick five at Woodbine, Santa Anita best bets. Then we get to Saturday. On this episode, I'm going to play Keeneland pick five thoughts. By the time I'm recording, Santa Anita and Woodbine aren't done with their odds out and everything yet. So what I'll do is I'll just post videos with those coming up in the next day. So Make sure to follow me on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. We'll have videos for those, Woodbine, and for uh, Santa Anita for Saturday and probably for Sunday also. And we finish up with wrestling. Chad couldn't join us this weekend, so I did just a quick little segment going over everything in AEW with Adam Copeland showing up, um, coming off their Wrestle Dream pay-per-view. We had NXT coming off of No Mercy. They have a big Tuesday show next week. And WWE, a little preview for Fastlane this weekend. So a loaded episode of That's What G Said that is presented by full-service realtor Cindy Carava. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. That's the website. She can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. Anything you need in the world of real estate, contact Cindy Carava at cindycarava.com. Let's jump right into NFL Week 5 game previews with Eric. Coming up on NFL Week 5 here, Gino Bacola alongside Eric from ETOF21 Sports. And we have uh, the buys that have started. So um, this week, I believe we have four teams on by. We'll have 14 games instead of the 16 to discuss still have two undefeated teams that remain the 49ers and the Eagles two winless teams the Bears and the Panthers and the Bears have both of those first round picks next year uh so they're sitting in a pretty good spot as far as the draft picks are concerned and the AFC North they can't score they have three of the bottom six offenses in the league in terms of EPA per play and in terms of DP, uh, DVOA they're three of the bottom 10 the Bengals, Browns, and Steelers not been good offensively. Just a couple key notes around the league as we get into the first game. We encourage everyone that's uh, in the state of Iowa to sign up for a DRF Sportsbook account. If you do so, make sure to use our promo code FAST350, and it'll get you all the way up to a $350 deposit match bonus. So anywhere in the state of Iowa, let your friends know. Let your family members know. Uh, Eric, we got the Bears. We got the Commanders last week. The Bears, after all the uh, the crap everyone's been talking about them, they come out firing against the Broncos. They go up by 21 points. They end up blowing a 21-point lead, which is the largest blown lead in franchise history. You can, It matches that. This is the 14th straight loss for the Bears. Uh, they actually had the ball and a chance to kick a field goal to go up three, but they went for it on fourth and got stopped. I like, I like that play. And the reason I like that play is because they've gotten one stop that whole half of football. And that was the Broncos first possession. Eber fused how I look at it. There was two forty-eight left. 
Broncos had one timeout and the two minute warning. You have the you have the best running quarterback in the NFL, a defense that you've ran for 171 on that is the worst against the run. And even if they kick the field goal, there's they're not their defense isn't going to stop the Broncos. Why not just keep in the offensive hands, try to win the game? I actually like the call. Um, I have no problem with the call at all. Call. Yeah, they I don't like the just, play call. I just I like going for it. I just don't like the play call. Yeah, and that's a few. That's going to happen a, a few times when we talk today about the situation. Going for it wasn't wrong, but you got to take into account all of the things happening in the game, right? That's the one thing that those um, uh, the analytics and the, the sheets that tell you whether to go for it, whether or not to go for it. They don't know the little things like who's playing quarterback necessarily. Where are you on the field? A lot of the times, right? Um, like small things like that, like, like point out that you were making, how's your offense been the entire game? How's the defense been the entire game? Small things like that. I agree with you. If you'd rather trust your offense or your defense for the bears, you're going to trust the offense. It's just unfortunately been a thing with fields, even in the games when he's been good last year, doesn't win a whole lot in these situations where you get the ball and a chance to go uh, with a drive always seems like there's an interception or some sort of a turnover Their example, their final four possessions, two punts, two turnovers, you know, just, but I mean, at the beginning of the game, they're letting him throw. Oh yeah. And and then you get the tight because it's, it's game the, of, the play calling at the end of the game was more not to lose. Yeah, and that's what's hard when you get up big. You see this a little bit in college, too. You get up by 20 or 28 points, and then you start getting really stagnant. I I mean, Fields was excellent throwing the ball. When we watch this game, it's hard not to take more away from the Denver defense than from the Bears' offense, necessarily, when we've seen the Bears struggle week to week. But, wow, we got to give him credit here. In he was graded fields quarterback number three on the week, fifth in EPA per play in the first half. He had six pass plays of 20 yards or uh, of six pass plays of 20 plus yards, 335 yards passing in the game, 80% passes uh, completed, four touchdowns. He was nine of 12 um, on 10, uh, 10 plus air yards. Nine completions is the most he's ever had in a single game on passes that were that deep down the field. Still didn't run as much, just four carries for 25 yards, but he did get hit, fumble, resulted in a touchdown to tie that game. Uh, Moore looked good. Um, Komet looked good. Herbert, well, I mean, they that's on him. Thing, like, Van, the wide nine defense of Van Josniff is so is, bad. You called that yeah, perfectly, the tight ends. You look at you look at it historically struggles against the tight end. So, I mean, that's – I mean, I we sniffed that out on Sunday morning, we talked about that. And, you know, it's it's just one of those things. Clement, to me, isn't a week-to-week player. No, but that was the it matchup. Was, it was just a situational matchup. I had I had Fields, Moore, and Komet last week in DFS, and they all had fantastic days. They were like 25, 30, and 27 uh, fantasy points and DFS points on DraftKings. Um, and they benched Claypool. They just asked him not even to join the team anymore. But, I mean, like, um, on the flip side, like, that's a structure thing. You yeah. go from having being under Mike Tomlin to come into this train wreck known as Matt Eberfus, you're going to speak out on stuff. You're going from a great organization to probably the worst ran organization there is. So, I mean, I totally, 
I get it. I mean, he should know better not to speak up, but I mean, he, he's just not used to stuff being this half-assed. Yeah. I, I, the problem for me is in watching any film, I'm not going to give Claypool any benefit of the doubt. The guy didn't give out effort in a lot of these. Oh games. yeah. Oh, 100%. He, he played but like I, crap, but no, but I you're right. It is. He kind it's of hard. like, he didn't he want knew. to, right. He, he didn't want to give out, give out maximum effort in the situation. And it's my, my point just going through all of this is damn, not great over there for them really top to bottom, but it's another situation where right now things looked great for them in the first half. And they're coming off a game where they lost to one of the other worst teams in the league. They're, they're at a very low value point. Washington's coming off of a game where they just took the Eagles, one of the better teams in the league to overtime. So Washington is valued pretty high uh, right now. And they are a six point favorite in this game over under 44 and a half. The commanders played pretty well. And they, you know, they've played well against the Eagles now two years in a row um, in like three straight games against them. They tied the game at the end of regulation and riverboat Ron had a chance to win it. I I would have gone for it. What about you? I wish he he would have too. I would have gone for it. Because I think when you're a big underdog on the road like that, and you just have one play to win the game, I think you do it because what ended up happening is when you're on the road, you know, the other team is a little bit better than you. You don't want to have to go down to down against them, right? Play for play. If you got a chance in one play where you can win it and they can't do anything for you, they can't do anything to you. I think you take that right there because in overtime, there's only two seconds left too. Yep, exactly. You go for it. You win in overtime. They went three and out. Never got the ball back. They actually had more first downs in this game than the Eagles. They had 365 total yards. Couldn't have happened last week when I was playing against Eric in fantasy, but Howell had a much better game this week, even against a strong defense. He uh, was 29 of 41, 290 yards passing, no interceptions, six carries for 40 yards. He finished uh, graded as quarterback number 10 on the week, and he led two fourth quarter game trying drives. So, you know what? There's a lot of bad quarterback play out there, Eric. He's not consistent, but he's not the worst that we see out there. No, he's he's been – he was good in this spot. Yep, um, exactly. He's he, got the Heineke thing in him, doesn't he? Like yeah. a little bit of that? I think he's got a better arm. He's he's way more mobile. Um, yeah. You can do a little, some RPOs with him. He's a little bit more athletic. Uh, yeah, you know, they'll, they'll roll with him this year, and the next year's draft class is insane on paper with quarterbacks and then you can kind of go from there. But um, in terms of this game, home favorites on these Thursday night games are 55% ATS favorites in general, 56% ATS. You know, what kind of is the mental state of the bears after having that big game and losing it reports are out that um, fields was just sitting in the locker room. He had no idea what to do. Yeah. He was just sitting there. Um, Bears O line, are they going to be able to block this commander's front front four? I don't know. I'm that that's another worry point for me. I would love to find a world where I could talk myself onto the Bears here. I just me can't. Too. I try, I was what trying to do is the Bears are the worst team defending receiving yard receiving backs. Um, with that being said, I'll probably bet Antonio Gibson over 14 and a half receiving yards. Um, 
He's been like pass catching back. Yeah, Robinson's been more between the tackles. And right? yeah. He only had seven touches, and we're starting to see it like we talked about last week. Um, these guys that don't get much touches on Sunday get a lot of touches Thursday on the quick turnaround. So I'm I, that'll probably be my only action in this game. I'll probably bet. I will bet Antonio Gibson over receiving yards. Okay, Eric, we continue along. Where do we head next? Going to London. Go. We're going to London, baby. We go. So, yeah, I mean, no no place for me, really, strong way one way or the other in this one. Jags at the Bills. I got to say, it feels like a fantastic spot for a spot for Jacksonville. I don't like Jacksonville overall as a team, though. That's what that's one of this is one of those times where as a better, I have a difficult time because Jacksonville absolutely dominated the first quarter of the game last week. They outgained Atlanta 146 yards to five in the first half. They had the ball for more than 10 minutes of possession in the first quarter. Lawrence had a pretty good game, particular. He ran the ball well. He's quietly been really good this year, actually. He's not been a problem for Jacksonville, even though they've struggled. He's graded quarterback number two, and he's had nine big-time throws this year and only three turnover-worthy plays. They focused on Kirk and uh, a guy that you've uh, had a lot of success with playing in the last couple years, Ingram, quietly. He had seven catches, 59 yards. He has 25 receptions on the year. That is tied for the league lead with uh, with tight ends for receptions. So really solid year for him. But, you know, you dive into it, like Atlanta really outgained them in the game, had more first downs. Atlanta, like Ritter was just so bad, and we'll get to him. I don't know how much of that was the Atlanta, it was Ritter or it was Jacksonville's defense. But on this in this game, you've got a Buffalo team who had six first-half possessions before they kneeled down at the end of the half. And on those six possessions, they scored four touchdowns with a field goal and a punt. They were up 31 to 14. They scored on eight of the first nine possessions. Like this Buffalo team feels to me like a play against exactly like Miami was a play against coming off of the 70 point game, Eric. The only concern I have is just, I don't think Jacksonville is that good, but Buffalo is going to have to go travel now to London coming off of that big game where now everyone's talking about them. Like they're the best team in the league and Jacksonville's already been there. They've been there hanging out at London. Um, there was something tricky about this where I believe the Bills went and moved into the hotel rooms or the, the hotel that the Jags were staying at. So the Jags had to change hotels, which was so, sort of weird because the Bills were coming into that hotel. I don't know if the Bills did that on purpose or anything, but that, that made me laugh a little bit just in case they did. Um, in the spot, I'm all over the Jags. I just... I don't know. Can I get there? Have you gotten there? Talk to us where you stand on this one. I Me, mean, this is at the end of the day, this is just, you know, a pass, a pass for me. Um, I, I look at it like this favorites in these international games are 23 and 10 ATS. Jags have been there two weeks. How does that, affect and nobody, them? we've never seen you know anybody. Do like, this how does that, how does that affect them? Right, we don't have any sample size for this. This is the first time any team's ever done this, right? Yeah, so we don't know what how they're going to be. We don't. Is know it going to be an advantage for them or a total disadvantage? No idea. Um, so that's going on. Total letdown spot for the Bills after that big victory over the Dolphins. What's going on with Von Miller? Return to practice? Is he going to be there or not? We still don't know what's going on with them. 
Robinson's coming back from the Jags, which is going to help their blocking, but they still have a, still their other tackle position. That rookie um, from Oklahoma has been insanely weak. If Miller's there and he's playing over him, that's going to put insane pressure on Lawrence. Um, you know, Jags 15th DVOA defending the pass middle of the road. I just don't think they have anyone that can really guard digs and Diggs has that's, kind of been sneaky good this year. Look, and Buffalo the, beats up on inferior opponents too. Like if you're, yeah. if you don't come to play, they will wipe the floor with you. I, I I'm, I'm agreement with you. Like the spot I wanted so bad to be against Buffalo this week, like, and the fact that they have to travel cross country, Jacksonville's been there, but there are too many variables for me with it being out of the country and me just not being all that high on Jacksonville to begin with this year. So I'm, I'm staying away on this one. Um, but man, I want to give the bills a little bit of credit and, and Josh Allen last week, he finished 21 of 25, four touchdowns, 320 yards and a perfect passer rating. Like when you watch Josh Allen play in a game like that, he's even better than Patrick Mahomes when he has that kind of a game. Like Mahomes, you trust more week in, week out with what he's able to do for you. But honestly, like when when Allen is playing as well as he is, I think his ceiling is even higher than Mahomes because of how like the ability to run a little bit more. And he's got like a stronger, more accurate arm like deep down the field when he's able to hit stuff it's for him. It's all mental about not taking those chances, man. He didn't have any turnover worthy plays. He had four different receivers that caught a pass for over 20 yards, five that caught a pass for over 12 yards, three of them that caught a pass for 30 yards on throws of 20 air yards of uh, less than 20 air yards. He was 83% successful in dropbacks. Like, that's not what Josh Allen does, right? His accuracy isn't pinpoint. So he out-tua'd Tua in this game, which was pretty cool. Like, all of the short stuff, all of the middle of the field, everything that the Dolphins left open, he picked them apart right away. Just two seconds in, boom, man was open. He hit him right away. It was fantastic to watch. He was the number one graded quarterback on the week. And this is a stat that... um People have been doing with Tua for years, right? Since he was in college, Josh Allen had four incompletions and four touchdown passes. He had f- uh, four incompletions and five total touchdowns. If you include the rushing touchdown there too, uh, Diggs was a monster and their defense. They were able to slow Miami down just enough to make them work. The dolphins didn't get shut down in here, but w- all they did was they had a stretch in the game where, Four straight second half drives. Miami didn't score a first down. Didn't get a first down. And boom. All of a sudden, Buffalo keeps scoring. And that's the difference in the game. But they're going to have to deal with... One thing for Buffalo is um, White. That's what I was just going to mention. He's out now for the year. And that's their big strength, right? That's the one thing. uh, Their secondary was the best in the league at coverage uh, as far as grading. And that was what made them strong is that they're so well balanced. You feel like you have strength in the secondary. You've got strength up front in the defensive front. Um, so that's going to really hurt them. Miller should be back practicing. And they've scored 38, 37, 48 over their last three. So mm-hmm. at least 37 points in a three-game stretch happened only one time last year, the 49ers. It happened only one time in 2021. The Bills did it that year. It happened only two times in 2020. The Bills did it that year again, and the Packers. 
Uh, they've outscored opponents 123 to 33 in their last three games. Number one DVOA. And in fact, they are the best ever three and one team tracked by the DVOA metric since 1981. But just wanted to give them some some love and some roses because they, they've had a good three weeks. And that was a really big win last week. I just, I don't want to play them when they're so high valued. I just can't get to the other side. I agree 150%. Like I just, like there's not really even any player props earlier like here. So no, nothing, nothing for me that jumps out quite yet. Ravens at the Steelers. I got to tell you, uh, I don't think this is going to be that much or any of a downgrade with Mitch Trubisky playing for Pittsburgh. And I think people will think that it is with Pickett out, but Pickett is graded quarterback number 38 through four games. You know, keep in mind, there aren't even 38 teams with starting quarterbacks. Um, Of the full-time quarterbacks that take snaps, only Ritter and Bryce Young have graded worse. He's actually worse than Zach Wilson. Um, in QBR, he's number 29 out of 32. This offense has been miserable. They've only converted 43% of third downs last week. They only had 225 total yards. Um, I think this number is correct. I got to double check it, but they, I, I, I try to look it up again. Now, 50 straight games where they haven't hit fi- uh, 400 total yards since Matt, with Matt Canada. I think it was the longest streak since 2009 to 2013 when the Arizona Cardinals did it. The offense did not cross midfield in the second half. They've only scored four total touchdowns in the four games. They're averaging 10.5 points per game. So Eric, should I really be all that worried that they don't have their starting quarterback here and they'll actually have a quarterback who's more mobile, who's started games in this league and who's got more experience than him? I'm not really worried about the, the move from Pickett to Trubisky. Trubisky will have had a week now as the, the number one QB to take the reps with the first team. And I think Pittsburgh is coming into this game really undervalued because they just got their asses kicked by the Texans last week. This feels like a real Mike Tomlin back at home, us against the world. Nobody believes in us. Everybody thinks Baltimore is the team to beat in the division because they just won. And now all the AFC North team struggled last week. I didn't get anything over three. You got to take Pittsburgh at home in here. Yeah, I gave this out um, on my stream that I do every Tuesday night uh, when it was at four and a half. Also, someone... Are you okay down to three? I'm okay down. Like, anything over three and a half. Yeah, Um, Yeah, me too. One of the guys, I'm assuming it was a guy, it could have been a girl, but someone in the chat room mentioned how Canada gave Tomlin's kid a scholarship. And Tomlin is very loyal to that fact. Yeah. There, so um, you could tell it's something it's like, know, what does he have on that guy? You know, so, you know that there's that there. Um, look, Tomlin dog, 65.4% home dog, 76.2%, 59.3% off of a loss as a dog against Harbaugh. He is an insane 11, two and two. That's 84%. Full disclosure. I bet the Ravens last week. Then that was the least impressive 24 to three road victory that I've seen. I don't think that the Ravens would have won if Watson played the game. The best play from the Ravens was Jackson running the ball offensively. The Steelers rushing game looked better. I still don't like what I'm seeing from Jackson throwing the ball. I think the Steelers will be able to take advantage of Jackson's weakness, throwing to the outside of the hashes. Ronnie Staley is still banged up. There's still some issues with some Ravens um, in terms of the injury. 
Their offensive line, uh, they had four penalties in the first half. And then Moses had to leave the game with a shoulder injury. And they've already been out uh, the left tackle, Stanley, for the last few games. So that I will say what surprised me was that the Steelers didn't take more advantage of the Texans' banged-up offensive line. The Texans had 451 total yards, and the Steelers didn't have a sack. I think they'll they'll be better against this team that they're more familiar with, with Pittsburgh in this divisional game at home. Yeah. But uh, And I think they will, they'll be able to make more of an impact this week than they did last week yeah. with with Stroud, who, man, he's been he's been really good in the Texans coaching staff. I'm getting That'd more and more good. impressed with. The more film, like, comes out, you know, the easier it's going to be to scheme for him. Um, yep. I think Trubisky there. Trubisky's a veteran now. He's been around the block. I think he's going to be a little bit more of a calming factor. Pickett really hasn't shown that great a leadership in my eyes. I just – and to me, it really doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Um, you know, I'm just going to play the Tomlin in the spot. This is kind of what he does, us against the world. Everyone's doubting us. Let's go out. Let's win the game. We had one when he came in to start last year. I'm trying to look. He had one game that was pretty good last year. Um, I think it was against Baltimore. He went, was that the game? No, he threw three interceptions in that game. One of the games he came in, he was like slinging it around pretty well. It must have been against, against Carolina where he was he was okay with 17 for 22. But he's been there, and I just. I wanted there were two guys this year, Eric, for me, because the way their schedule played out with Pickett and with Ritter, I wanted these guys to be good. I do still like because I want I like the team that the spot their teams were in this year with their schedule and the the value that they had. And unfortunately, Pickett just has been awful. I mean, every metric, 25 in DVOA, uh 30th in offensive DVOA, 31 in EPA per play. Uh, they just have not looked great. But, but these, this is their spot. This is their game. The Ravens, you know, they have a two-division wins and a one-game lead. This would be huge for them to get three road wins this early in the season against all your division rivals. The thing is, doesn't even matter in this spot when you're getting this number because they can still win this game. And as most of the games are in this division, kind of close games down and decided by a field goal. Um, yeah, I like Pittsburgh in here quite a bit Let's see anything other to mention um yeah the ravens it's just it's so hard to take anything out of that last game because they're playing against dtr a guy who wasn't really prepared and that was and was making his first start and it's like oh yeah by the way you're gonna be starting today and you're gonna be against a, a pretty unique defense to sort of that that's gonna give you different looks it just was not an easy spot for dtr to be in with the you know question marks on the running game, they're having some offensive line issues too. And the Browns got to say their deep, their offense has just been bad overall. And it's crazy, Eric, because I think we saw in just that one example the difference between having a quarterback that's like a bad starting quarterback, but still a starting quarterback, and then a quarterback that's not ready to play. Right, we're all giving Deshaun Watson crap because he's not as good as he was a few years ago. But look at the drop off between him and what yeah, he's a difference maker, you know, I and really what the next it. tier is. E- even if he's I really like think the, if Deshaun played, he would have they would have won that game. I agree, even if he's the 20th ish best quarterback right now at how he's been playing. Look at the difference between someone who's below average and then wow, someone who's just not ready to go. Um, that's, that's what's so crazy about playing quarterback in this league is that there really are like 
30 guys or so that can do it. Not many more can even have the, the ability or the capacity to take those snaps to process everything that's going on at the speed it's going on. Um, yeah, I mean, nice game for Andrews. Five catches, 80 yards, both touchdown receptions. Nothing really sexy on offense. Lamar only had to throw 19 passes, as you mentioned. They got up. They got up. It was more of defensively because uh, the Browns' offense was making some mistakes. DTR had three interceptions in that game. Both Eric and I are on the Pittsburgh side. We think you can lock this one in at anything over the three and a half. Eric, how about those Lions? Three and one. Only loss came in overtime in a one-score game that they lost themselves. They absolutely should have won that game. Since then, what do you do? Don't sulk. You have back-to-back wins, double-digit victories, and they've got wins this year so far at Lambeau and at Arrowhead. They've got four straight wins against the Packers now. In the first half, they outgained the Packers 284 yards to just 21. They dominated the box score. They had more than 400 total yards, 5.5 yards per play. Packers only had 230 yards and 4.3 yards per play. The Lions had 10 more first downs than the Packers. Lions went 7-11 on third down and 2-2 of on fourth down. Packers were just 4-12 of combined on third and fourth. Lions had 20 more total plays run. They won the time of possession by almost 16 minutes in the game. They ran for 211 yards, and the Packers only rushed for 27 yards on 12 carries. 2.3 yards per attempt for the Packers and 4.9 yards per rush attempt for the Lions. Your Lions were up 27-3 to at halftime. That was the third biggest halftime deficit that the Packers had ever faced at home. And what's crazy, they only blitzed one time the whole night, one time. And they were getting home and all that pressure, um, eight pressures uh, for Hutchinson and a 21% pressure rate. The team had five sacks on the night. He also had, um, he's had at least five quarterback pressures in his last six games. All these young dudes, man, Laporta, he has more receptions in his first four games than any tight end in NFL history. <laughs> the only one with more receiving yards than him through their first four games was Ditka, the Bears. He was the only one ever as a tight end. Man, Montgomery, he's questionable coming into the game. He ends up getting 34 touches, 32 carries for 121 yards and three touchdowns. This is the number three that. team. That that goes back to the theory, dude. Like, he didn't play on Sunday. Gibbs had 18 touches. And then they just pounded it with Montgomery. I mean, like, full disclosure, on Instagram, every Thursday I always put out, this is who I'm putting in my captain spot. I put Monty. He scored me 55 points. I won some money playing some DFS things. Unbelievable. And I think that's the thing, like, I can't any – I think there's over 50 and a half rushing yards. I think that's the thing, like, people really need to start paying attention to is the running backs before the Sunday – before the Thursday night game. Yep. And, uh, man, this Lions team really does look like one of the more well-balanced teams in the league. And and the key is their defense. They're leaning on this defense, and the defense has been playing very strong right now. Yeah, like they're one of the few teams that's top five in offense and in defensive DVOA. They're the number five defense. They're the number four offense right now. This is well-balanced, Eric. It doesn't feel as fluky either because the NFC isn't strong. Right now, where you sit and you look at the other three teams in your division, you have to feel really confident that this is the team to beat in the division. 
But now these are the times when you start to worry about the lions. When, when they can start to read into what everyone's saying and they can start to buy into the hype, right? Because they quietly got to three and one the last few weeks. And now all of a sudden you're basically a 10 point favorite in this game. I mean, look, the, the number, the situation says to play the Panthers lions coming off a huge win prime time. And this is a game, like, I'll be honest, this is a game, historically speaking, that they usually lose. Absolutely. You know, Goff comes out, throws that early pick, and then boom. You know, down 10 nothing. You turn the ball over. Exactly. You could just feel it. One of those things where it's just, it's completely different. He looks great. Um, You know, these reports are coming out that the Panthers are looking to be trading for a number one to give Bryce Young a playmaker. Bryce LaVisca Chenault, who's a gadget player, Curtis Samuel type guy. Um, you know, they have DJ Shark, a good field structure, and Terrence Marshall can be a number one in this league if he's in a good system. I would love for my Lions to, to trade for him and pair him with what they have going on. And to trade, that's all that Young is missing, a number one. He's a one-read guy who just locks in on the slot or the tight end. Um, Panthers D has a lot of injuries. You just And you look at what Young does with his deficiencies, throwing the ball. You look at the struggles they're having running the ball. Lions, fifth DVOA, fifth against the pass DVOA, fourth against the rush. How are the Panthers going to move the ball? And you mentioned the Lions like to run the ball. Panthers are worst defending the rush. Look, if this gets over 10, I'll probably have to, just on principle alone, I'm going to have to bet the Lions here. But I, just, I haven't seen one thing from this Panthers team. Not with not with Young. Like, if oh, Dalton man. was in, if Dalton was in, I would be jump, I would jump on this instantly. Instantly. Oh, for sure. 100 percent But they they haven't hit 300 yards of total offense yet in the games that Young has started. They, they only had 232 total yards last week, 3.4 yards per play on nine drives. They didn't even crack 150 yards passing or 85 yards rushing. They were 0 of 2 in the red zone. They had to take field goals both times. They got up on a pick six on the first drive. Minnesota was driving, pick six. Then the Panthers kicked the field goal when they had the ball. They were up 10-0 and then nothing, literally nothing the rest of the game. They can't run the ball at all, as you were pointing out. Uh, They've averaged 2.7 yards per carry last week and just 1.5 yards per carry for Sanders. So I I would love to play the Panthers here, but I've been really impressed with the Lions. I'm not laying this number with them. This is just a stay away for me for now. Pure stay away. Pure, pure stay away. Let's get to Atlanta in this next game. Uh, We go Falcons at... Or we go Falcons at home hosting the Texans. Falcons are a two-point favorite in this game over under 41 and a half. The Falcons come out of a game where they actually traveled to London last week, so they decided to take their bye. Uh, decided not to take their bye in their first week back. They had more first downs, more yards per play. Uh, they had five yards per play in that game. They were better on third and fourth down, but turnovers ended up being the difference in the game. Uh, a game that was... Not as close, but probably closer both than it may have looked because it wasn't like Jacksonville was great, but it was more that Atlanta and Ritter was terrible again. And Eric, he had that okay second half against the Packers. Felt like he was maybe turning the corner in that comeback victory. 
And then since then, his two road games are terrible. He can't win on the road. He can only win at home. Over the last two weeks, he grades his quarterback 39 out of guys to take a snap. Only Mac Jones is a quarterback that started twice in the last two weeks that's been worse than him. And Mac Jones was benched. Um, Ritter threw interceptions on back-to-back passes in the second quarter. And one of them was a pick six. I I will say, as someone who is invested in Atlanta with futures, and and I know you have some too, I I think these last two games were games that would have been way closer if Taylor Heineke was playing quarterback. I don't think he's the most... I don't think fantastic. they give an upgrade. I don't think he's the most fantastic in the world, but he can actually make some throws. Ritter doesn't seem like he has any confidence right now at, at all. And the the thing that I the I don't he's not using his legs enough either. Like Heineke will actually run around and use his legs. I don't in with these weapons, I wouldn't even mind if Heineke lost me one or two games because there's probably the built-in upside of a big play to Pitts, a big play to London here and there. We just don't get any of those from Ritter. I've been so disappointed with him, and I want I want him to be better. Bijan's been amazing. He had 137 yards last week on 19 total touches, 48 rushing yards over expected. He faced at least seven defenders in the box and 10 carries, and he had 82 rushing yards uh, in those attempts. He's the only player to have generated 45 rushing yards over expected multiple games this year. How about Pitts, 21 yards receiving. Jonu Smith has 179 yards this year, and Pitts has uh, 77, nine catches for 77. Or, uh, excuse me, he has 121 through the four games, and uh, Pitts has 179. So, defense is much improved, though. I mean, they're, they grade better on EPA. Uh, their EPA per play, they're seventh in success rate, and they're 13th in EPA per play. They're number one defending the run in EPA per play. So all those improvements on defense, like we thought they just are terrible offensively. Number 10 rushing DVOA on offense, number 31 passing DVOA on offense. And the thing that was eye opening to me, Eric, every team opening drive, they've got their, what probably first 15 plays, first 20 plays scripted, you know, that they've been working on at practice. They've got the game plan. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to come out and start. We're going to run these plays, and then we'll make some adjustments. On their opening drive, they have not gone more than three plays in any game this year. Three and out, three and out, three and out, and an interception. If this offense is just okay, the defense is better, and they're good enough to win games, especially in this division. I think in this spot, actually, I like both of these teams, and I think you do too, better than the the common perception of both of these teams is. I do think that the Texans right now are just a tad overvalued based on what they've been doing and based on Stroud's success. In this spot, I think there's actually value on Atlanta as a slight home favorite here. I would lean Atlanta here. Talk to us about this game and, and yeah, what you're looking at. I've been Atlanta. You know, I'm thinking about using Atlanta and Survivor. Um, buying low, selling high. You know, Texans just coming off two, two wins. Two wins as dogs. Everyone's kind of talking about them could be a team that could kind of sneak into the playoffs more and more films getting going on um Stroud but at the end of the day this Falcons offense is just a run-based offense they're going to lead on Algier they're going to lead on Robinson Texans are 29th DVOA defending the run per PFF the Falcons have the best offensive line to defensive line matchup for the run game this week 
Um, I think it's just going to be a heavy dose of Bijan. I think you're going to lean on Bijan. Teams, two-game winning streaks that are road dogs are 45% ATS. The trends say to take the Falcons here. I think it's a bounce-back spot. Ritter has never lost and has never At home. At home. He's never lost at home, and he's covered every game at home in the NFL. So um, I just think that this is just kind of the right spot to, um, you know, to play the Falcons. If the Falcons lose this game, they're going to be in serious trouble of not making the playoffs. If the Texans win this game, they could actually make the playoffs. So this is a big, big game for both teams. Texans are starting to get some offensive line people pieces back. But I just, you know, Pierce got banged up. I just, I don't know. I just kind of feel like. What, what the Falcons have on defense and their run game, they're going to be able to take advantage of the weaknesses that the Texans have. So I play the Falcons. This opened up at three. Once it got down to two and a half, I've actually bet it at two and a half. Yeah, anything under the three, um, I think, is, is where you jump on the Falcons there. And this is this is nothing against the Texans. Honestly, they dominate. I, I've been super impressed with them, and you and I were very, very high on them this year, thinking they would be a lot better than the common perception of them. They dominated Pittsburgh twice as many first downs, double the total yards. They had 6.5 yards per play, and Pittsburgh only had four. Stroud had another 300-yard game. He was better than the 16 of 30 line might suggest. He was quarterback number nine on the week. Third straight game with 250 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, no interceptions. That's the longest stretch by any rookie since at least 1970. First player. In NFL history with 1,200-plus passing yards, zero interceptions in their first four games. Five rookie quarterbacks started a game last week. He was the only one that had a, a victory in that game. This team is number 11 overall in DVOA. They're 14 on offense. They're 16 on defense. They're number five on special teams. The 16 in EPA per play, 11 in EPA per dropback. They're really solid across the board except for two spots. They've been terrible in rushing offense and in rushing defense. That's the key. They can't run the ball and they can't stop the run. Um, And as Eric is pointing out, I think this is a team that will be able to take advantage of that. I have just been extremely impressed with their coaching staff. Man, they had a rookie quarterback and they've been missing as many as four offensive linemen. And they scored 67 points in their last two games. And they've won those games by 20 and 24. That's just really impressive stuff for a young team with a new staff. Nico Collins had 168 yards receiving, 92 receiving yards over expectation. That's the second highest total uh, over ex- uh, expected of any receiver in a game this year. He actually is leading the NFL in yards after the catch, and he's fifth overall in receiving yards. Nico yeah, Collins okay. has more receiving yards than... Uh, AJ Brown, Stefan Diggs, and Devontae Adams so far this year through four games. Yeah. He's been yeah. he's been a monster. And the defense didn't allow Pittsburgh to cross midfield until the second half. So while I am 100% with you and we're both playing Atlanta, this is the spot. Atlanta probably should be more of like a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. And they're two based on what's happened to both of these teams over the last two weeks. Yep. Yep. I, I just, the spot says buying low, selling high. You know, everyone yep. thinks the Falcons suck now. Everyone thinks the Texans are all that. And when you when we looked at the Falcons' schedule, it kind of looked like this was going to happen where they would be able to maybe get two wins right off the bat. And then two of their tougher games of the year were at Detroit and then playing in London against Jacksonville. I think like the only yeah. other really, really tough game on the Falcons' schedule that we had circled was the Jets game. 
And now we don't even know without Rodgers how tough that matchup might be. So this is when the schedule really lightens up for Atlanta and they should have every opportunity if good enough to win a lot of these games. It's a fascinating game, a game that a lot of people probably won't care about as much this week, but you and I both uh, like these two teams a bunch. So I hope they come out uh, and both play well in here. Let's go Saints at the Pats. Eric, the Saints, God, the Saints are a one-point favorite on the road, even though they looked awful last week. They only had 197 total yards, only 3.2 yards per play. The longest play of the entire game for them was 20 yards. Uh, The 3.2 yards per play was the third fewest in a game since 2001 for them, and the first time they didn't score a touchdown since week 10 of 2019. Carr didn't look healthy at all. He only had 127 passing yards on 37 attempts against the Tampa secondary that was missing some pieces. Uh, He had attempted 14 passes behind the line of scrimmage, which was tied for the most such attempts behind the line of scrimmage in his career. The Kamara stat line was one that like you had to rub your eyes a few times to see if it was real. 13 catches for 33 yards receiving for Kamara. Like, huh? Great in PPR, but... Not a whole lot of production there. I mean, and, and the Patriots are coming off of a game where they just got shellacked. Uh, the 35-point loss is the largest margin of defeat in the 29-year head coaching career of Bill Belichick. Mac Jones gets benched after a bad game. Uh, he finished the week graded quarterback 34 on the week. So, yeah, 34. Um, he had three turnovers that led to 18 points for Dallas. He completed 12 of 21 for 150 yards, benched with three minutes left to go in the quarter. Zappy didn't do much better, though. They didn't score any points on his three drives. Uh, they did miss a 52-yard field goal. The offense only had 11 first downs. They converted only seven first downs on the eight offensive possessions with Jones, and they turned the ball over three times. They went scoreless on their final 10 possessions of the game. They've only scored 55 points through their first four games, which is their lowest total for the franchise since 2000 when he was his his first year as a head coach. The offensive line graded out miserably. They're starting to get banged up a little bit. Um, The secondary is depleted. They're looking for Jones to return this week. Jack Jones, that could help them out. Look, I'm not really high on either of these two teams this year, Eric. I don't think either of these two teams have looked fantastic, but I do think the Patriots are a little bit undervalued right now. And they're usually a team that's overvalued. Uh, They got their asses kicked last week. I think they'll bounce back this week and play much better. I have not been um, impressed with the Saints. This is basically a pick It's sort of flipped back and forth. I mean, I'm not lining up to go bet it at the windows, but if in, in a pool that I have where I have to pick every game each week, I'm on the Patriots side in here. I just... I got to see more from New Orleans before they're getting this kind of love where it's basically a pick them on the road. Um, Yeah, I took the Patriots here minus the one, and uh, I I got them at minus one and a half. Derek Carr historically struggles on the road for his career. His yards per game, completion percentage, and TDs are all down, plus he's going into the game with a shoulder injury. He struggles to throw the ball down the field this past Sunday. Balls were floating off target. Hence the 14 targets, 13 catches for 33 yards for Kamara. Carr can't throw it downfield. Now he's playing the eighth DVOA team um, in defense, 12 DVOA defending the pass. I know the Patriots are going to have injuries. Gonzalez and Judon are out, but I don't think Carr is going to be able to take advantage of it just because he can't get the ball down the field. Belichick 
off of a loss is 41, 19 and one, 68% ATS. One thing we're starting to find out with Mac Jones, he covers the games as favorites against the dog. He's the worst quarterback in the league. He's 63% against the number as a fave. Teams lost by 35 points or more, 64% ATS the following week. Teams that scored three points or less, 61%. That's just the buying low, selling high. Saints offense has struggled this season. They aren't running as much play action as Carr has ran in the past. Carr is one of the best quarterbacks in the league at doing play action. Even without Judon, I think the Panthers are the Panthers. The Patriots will be able to create pressure. On Carr, the weakness of the Saints defense is the rush defense. I think the Patriots will lean heavy on Stevenson, Elliott, and crew. Eric and I are both on the path, so this could be one of our five plays this week. Eric, uh, we had a solid week last week again. I think we ended up going uh, three and two last week. So right now, one game over 500 through four weeks with our five each and every week. Patriots, we're both on the side here. Uh, we move along to the Giants at the Dolphins. Miami's an 11-point favorite in this game, over under 49. Teams coming off of a 50-point-plus victory are now 7-6 and six in their next game since 1970. They won by 50 points in one week and then lost by 28 the next week. Yeah. How Talk about a turnaround. How about this one, Eric? Teams that score 60. There have been seven times that that's happened. A team has scored 60 points. You know what the record is in the game following it? Um, 0-4. Oh 1-6. How crazy is that? You know, you just, you have that game where everything goes so well for you. And then, boom, it's just hard. You're not, you're overvalued. And it's hard to have that type of efficiency the following game. You know, they've given up 41 points per game in the games against Buffalo and the Chargers. They are dead last in success rate allowed on defense. They're allowing 51.3% of plays to grade successful. Almost 54% of passes are grading successful against them. Uh, They dropped all the way down to number seven in DVOA in that game. They have the number one ranked offense still, but their defense is 29. And their special teams is ranked 30. That's what scares me about ever playing a team like this favored by this much. When you have a bad defense and even a bad special teams. Because you could be throwing away points. And right now, we're already starting at such a disadvantage as an 11-point favorite here. Look, I'm not high on the Giants and what we've seen from them. I'm really disappointed in Dayball, who I know they don't have the personnel out there, but I just expected a little bit more from him, a little more creativity. Um, We we really haven't seen it at all. And Jones has been bad. He's been one of the worst quarterbacks this year, but the offensive line hasn't been great. Um, Do you you think – are we going to get Barkley back here? We could. I mean, you're not you're not laying it with Miami, right? It's either Giants or no play. Oh, this is just a pure pass. You know, Armstead could be out for the Finns. Uh, Giants offensive line injuries. You know, defensive injuries. They just haven't looked right. Neil's been a complete train wreck. Um, you know, look, 28th DVOA defending the pass. Who's going to stop Waddle? To me, look. If I know everyone's like caught up in Survivor. You know, if you you have two options, you have three options this week. Oh my god! In um, in my eyes, you can take the Falcons, or you can fade the Panthers back to back weeks with the Lions, and then the Finns next week, or take the Finns here. Um, I don't know. It's I just can't get behind this this Giants team right now. No, me either. I want I I would love to, but got to see a little bit more from them. We move to Titans at the Colts. We've got the Colts 
as a one and a half point dog, this one's sort of kind of been dancing around the one ish, one and a half ish number. This, so now this open right? is a quote getting points. No, no, sorry, sorry. Giving. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's where that, that's what right. I looked at right away at plus one and a, ha- a half. This was a, a lock on the Titans for me. Um, and I guess still like right about like get, I wouldn't want to give more than two, though, which is about where we are right now with the Titans. Um, that was such a fantastic game and a Vrabel game from the Titans. How about Henry had more passing touchdowns in the game than Joe Burrow? I think right there, I would have told you that. And you would have known that the Bengals are in trouble. Hi, Eric. If I would have said uh, Derek Henry is going to have more passing touchdowns than Joe Burrow. Um, Wasn't a quick start to the game. They went 15 plays, 40 yards. They kick a field goal. Then they were back to back to back punts. But following that, Titans go 78 yards, 73 yards, and 80 yards. And going into halftime, they're up 24 to three. Uh, They go on a 15 play 10 minute and 22 second drive to come out of the half. They kick a field goal and they just suck the life right out of the game. I mean, they just, they just took the entire third quarter away from the Bengals and the Bengals only chance would have been to get a bunch of possessions in the second half. Um, Tannehill finished 18 of 25, 240 yards. He played really well. Um, uh, Hopkins dropped what could have been a 55 yard touchdown pass. Henry didn't start the game off. Great. I think he had just 22 yards on his first seven carries, but he improved. He averaged 6.6 yards per carry on the next 15, had 122 total in the game. His 35th career game with 100-plus rushing yards, tied for the third most in franchise history. I didn't realize how strong the history, you know, because every franchise is different. Like the Bears, for example, um, the stats going around all over, like Jeff Justin Jefferson already has more receiving yards than any receiver in the history of the Bears franchise. You know, it's like some organizations don't have great lineage of just awesome wide receivers or awesome quarterbacks. But for the Titans, Eddie George, Earl Campbell, and Derrick Henry have all been in this franchise. Talk about like some of the who's who of running backs and like stud running backs through the years. This defense was really strong. They were all over that hobbled Joe Burrow. They're number 12 in defensive DVOA. They're number three in defending the run, which is what the Colts want to do and what Richardson wants to do is run. Uh, they were down 23 nothing. the Colts to the Rams, uh, and they came all the way back in the second half. It was a really good effort from them. Sloppy in the first half. They missed a field goal. Uh, they did get some running production, though, from Richardson. He had 56 yards before half, and I like what I saw from their staff. Their head coach made some adjustments. Um, Richardson actually leads the league in explosive play rate. He's been better than I thought. I do think this is Tennessee at something close to this, but if it got up to two and over, I would sort of stay away. Yeah, I want nothing to do with this game. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the Titans coming off a big win over the Bengals. Um, you know, Vrabel isn't that good as a dog, as a, sorry, as a favorite, um, only 47%. Titans defensive line is legit. You know, they could get to Ritter, not Ritter, Richardson, make him feel a little bit uncomfortable. Titans are really weak. Defending the pass, 25th DVOA could be a good Michael Pittman game in terms of DFS. But in terms of sides, look, I never lay points on the road. So, you know, I like this Titans team. Colts are really a little young, better than I thought. I'm just going to end up passing. What's next on our slate, Eric? Bengals at Cardinals. Bengals only had 211 total yards in the game last week and 14 total 
first downs. They go 70 yards on the opening drive, kick a field goal. Following that, they don't score again in the game. Honestly, they didn't even get close to scoring the rest of the game. They punted on five of their next seven possessions, not counting a kneel down at the end of the first half. They were two of 10 on third and fourth down. I mean, Burrow's obviously hurt. This team's in a little bit of trouble right now. He graded quarterback number 25 on the week. So far this year, he grades as quarterback number 23. Last year, he was quarterback number one. Uh, Two years ago, he was quarterback number one graded at the end of the year. Um, It's not normal to see him down in the 20s. He was only able to attempt four passes beyond 10 air yards. He's the first quarterback in NFL history. 150 passes and averages less than five yards per attempt through the first four games. This team, number 26 overall in DVOA. Number 23 in offensive DVOA. 25 in defensive DVOA. 27th in EPA per play. 29th in success rate. They scored 49 points in four games. Their defense allowed 49 rushing yards over expected, which was their second most allowed in a game since the start of last season. Higgins is now banged up. He's expected to miss a few weeks with a rib injury. They've been outscored 51 to six in two games in the road this year. And they're two road losses. And now they're on the road playing a feisty Arizona team, man. Arizona, they score a touchdown to cut it to five. They're down 21-16 in that 49ers game. They go for two. They fail to start the fourth quarter. Um, And I like that their coaching staff was aggressive to try to keep them in the game. They went for it on a fourth and seven at midfield early in the second quarter. They converted a fake punt from their own 21. Those two plays helped lead to 10 Arizona points. That kept them in the game against an opponent that they knew they'd have to keep scoring. They didn't try to get real conservative. They went on touchdown scoring drives of 87 yards before the half and 99 yards in their first drive out of the half. So they went from down 18 to only down five. Michael Wilson looked really good. Seven catches, 76 yards, two touchdowns. This offense, in four games, they're number nine in EPA per play. They're tied for 10th in success weight with the Rams, two teams that we thought were going to be two of the worst teams in the league. They're both top 10 offenses. And in drop pack EPA, they're 12th. They're number six in rushing EPA per play. And it was the defense that killed them, Eric. The defense had the worst defensive performance by any team in any game this year, according to EPA per drive. The 49ers were almost perfect. This number has moved, though, a little bit, right? This is like a weird number here. What what have we seen? And, and tell us about what you think with this one. This number opened up at five. And now it's dipped down to three. Uh, This is just a pure pass. Look, there's a trend that says to take um, to take the Bengals here. You know, they only scored three points, um, historically speaking, to take them. Um, Cardinals have been playing great. They do a lot of defensive injuries. Um, I all I know is we're going to see how good of a leader Burrow is in terms of like looking playing someone. I really don't know what to do here. Bengals defense. I think their defense has just been awful. And they lost some yeah. key guys. The safety the, the secondary is the key. There's the um, secondary guys they had last year played like every snap for them. Yeah. And they're and just not there. They're top five defending the run last year. This year they're bottom five defending the run. So I just, I don't know. I just, I can't get there on either side. I want to get there with Arizona, but I missed, I missed the, the number. The, the number. So Me too. Same thing. Completely agree. I, I just feel like I didn't get the five or a little bit better, but man, Shout out to Arizona. They've been doing a very a great job just preparing for games and a team that, heck, I don't think they were going to win that game last week, but 
I played them to cover and it wasn't like it was a bad beat or anything. They like, you just felt like you were on the right side. Like they were in that game throughout. And what I like, they sort of, they, they put together a template for things that you can, you can do to San Francisco. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Like they attack San Francisco in ways that I think better teams um, will be able to, uh, to, it will be able to impact more uh, in the game. Just the Cardinals couldn't stop San Francisco on defense. That was the problem. They just could not do anything to stop them there. Let's go to Eagles at the Rams. Eagles are 4-0. Haven't really looked fantastic in those four games, though. I had to go to overtime to beat a Washington team that got blown off the field by the Bills last week. And Washington had more first downs than they did, held the ball for more than four minutes of possessions. The Eagles were only 4-12 of 12 on third down and just 1-2 of two in the red zone. They had 11 penalties in that game. Brown got called for a taunting penalty after the go-ahead score, and that gave Washington better field position to get their game-tying score. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they did come back after being down early. Uh, The defense allowed two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. That was, again, eye-opening, right? You come all the way back, but then you still allow Washington to score two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Um, They didn't run the ball very well. Only 140 yards uh, on 27 carries, 3.9 yards per rush. Had to lean on the passing game a little bit more. It was another big game from Brown, who had nine catches for 175 yards. I think we just expect so much from this Eagles team because they were so good last year. It's not like they've been bad. They're sixth in DVOA. They're number seven in offense. They're number 10 in defense. Um, they've been a bit lucky, though, in their games. Like, even in this game, uh, in in overtime, Washington should have picked up a first down. They got lucky not that they did. The Eagles got lucky that Washington didn't. The balls bounced their way against the Patriots. The balls bounced their way against the Vikings. Um We're seeing like the changes on the defensive side, starting with the coordinator, two new linebackers. Um, These guys just aren't as good as the guys who were there before. And now Dean's out with an injury at safety. Edmonds isn't as great. The nickel corner Maddox got a peck injury. Bradbury's out of position. Um, But you mentioned the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Uh, Brown was complaining on the sideline a couple weeks ago. And since then, I think he has 18 catches for 360 yards and two touchdowns in those games. Eric, I, I think you've made me a believer now with the Rammies. Uh at at plus four and a half. I think I'm on the Rams side in here. Puka's been good. The real key though, I I'm gonna wait because I just want to try to hear the bet the most that I can about the health of Stafford because he didn't look good late in that game. He was limping around. He did help them in overtime, like with the game-winning drive, get it to Puka. But you know, Stafford's been a top 10 quarterback this year when he's healthy. This team is well coached. They lean on Williams. Their defense is better than average. They've got some nice playmakers out there. McVay looks like a hungry coach. They're eighth in EPA per play. They're 10th in success rate. And overall, they're the number 11 team in DVOA. They had 27 first downs in that game. They didn't have to punt until there was eight minutes left to go. And now they're going to get Cooper Cup back, it looks like, this week. Yeah, I gave this one out Tuesday night on my um, on my stream. Um Plus four and a half. The weakness of this Eagles defense is defending the pass. Plus, they have injuries in the back four. Stafford has looked solid, averaging 307.25 yards per game. Cooper Cup is on track to come back. That means better matchups for Puka, Van Jefferson, Higby, and crew. Plus, the Eagles will be without two of their top three DBs and without their middle linebacker, who is their coverage linebacker against Higby. This is going to help the Rams playmakers even more. Stafford will be able to take advantage of it. Jurgens, who is an offensive lineman for the Eagles, was hurt. Now, in years past, this really hasn't been a big issue, but 
we've seen the backups for the Eagles because they've been so depth at the offensive line. Those guys are starting to get poached and aren't there anymore. So the talent and the backup position just isn't there. I think this is going to help Donald and crew to get there. Last year, we all talked about the Falcons and their luck in one-score games. Eagles are 3-0 and this year in one-score games, so they're going to be due for some regression to go against the norm. Teams that are 4-0 and their favorites on the road in Week 5, like the Eagles are, are only 43% against the number. Flip side, teams on a four-game ATS winning streak that are home dogs, like your Rams, are 62%. Eagles have two new coordinators in my eyes. Look, game plans are okay. In-game adjustments are okay, but it's just not as crisp as it was last year. These guys yep. are still trying to figure it out. Rookies are still thrust into playing a little bit more, banged up. I'm going to take the Rams here plus, I bet it here, plus the four and a half. Yep. Hurts doesn't look good in the pocket. Happy feet, not getting upset. It's amazing as we move to our next game, Chiefs at the Vikings. Um, the Chiefs are a four-point favorite on the road here. So last year for the Vikings, they kept winning all these games, but based on the advanced metrics, they were not good. This year, they're number 14 in DVOA. They're a top half team. They're number 12 in offense, and they're unlucky. Um, their defensive success rate is number 14. Um, on offense, their success rate is number eight. So they've been way better as a team this year, but the balls haven't been bouncing quite as well for them. I think that it'll start to even out now. I don't think they're going to end up going losing all of the one-score games this year and have that be the case. Uh, their defense actually played a lot better last week. They shut out the Panthers in the second half after being down six at halftime. Uh, just the offense wasn't all that great, in particular Cousins, but he's been very good through the first three weeks of this year. There was a couple small plays. There was a pick six in the red zone on the opening drive. They were going to get points there, so that's a 10-point swing. On the previous play, there was an offensive holding flag that wiped away a touchdown pass. And then they had a an interception in the second quarter that could have been another pick six. Um, you pointed out Madison would have a good game. He did. And Akers got involved a little bit. He had five carries for 40 yards, also two catches. And uh, the Chiefs here on the road, a little overvalued that game last week. They didn't play all that well against the Jets. Mahomes didn't play all that well. That was actually... How about this? He was graded quarterback number 28 on the week. The only quarterbacks that had a worse week than Mahomes were Ritter, Aiden O'Connell, DTR, and Mac Jones. Two players making their first start and two other players who may not be making many more starts in Jones yeah. and Ritter. Um, I, I talked about this um, on Tuesday night on, uh, on my on stream. Show. Um Mahomes this year with no B enemy. I think we underestimated how much B enemy was absolutely impact here. Um, completion percentage down sixty seven to sixty four. Yards per game down two seventy seven to two fifty one. TD to INT ratio last year is five point one TDs for every one INT. This year it's two to one. The offense is averaging seven points less per game, and they've only scored over. 24 points once this season, and that was against the Bears. Flip side, last year, they had one game where they didn't score over 24 points. Now, Vikings have some holes defensively. I think that, um, you know, this isn't one of those games, but moving forward, you know, the, this Chiefs offense just isn't it. And even against the Bears, they had a lot of third down or long third downs early on. Um, 
Vikings, you know, this year they are due for some positive regression. They're one of the most more unluckier. Absolutely. Mahomes seven seven point favorite or less on the road. 63% here. Um to me, this is the game where this is where the psychology of DFS comes in. Obviously, if you're playing in the cash game, a cash game lineup, you're gonna want to get a piece of this game. You're gonna want to have a piece of both sides. But if you're playing the millionaire maker, you want to steer away of this game. Or if you do play it, you want to have somebody that isn't that contrarian. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So because the Chiefs defense this year is a little bit better. This is not your same Chiefs team. They're a better team defensively than they are like like off. They're not better, but they're normally their defense is a train wreck and their defense is actually very solid. And like you said, their offense just isn't that same potent offense as usual. So yeah, I think, I think the play here is Minnesota at anything over the three and a half. I would, I would play Minnesota here. I want nothing to do with this game. It, to me, this feels like a, a, it feels right for being a close game, like a field goal ish game. Uh, give me Minnesota on this one. Let's go to the jets at the Broncos here. So this was the, uh, this is the Hackett bowl, right? We had yeah, uh, weird, you know, I mean, you coach, got Gregory saying he wants to be released. Now Payne saying he's not wants to be released. You got the little thing between Gregory, not Gregory Hackett and Peyton. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone's talking about, Oh my God, Zach Wilson. He gets it. He's turning the corner. Is he really though? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, a good, it was a good game. It was one, it was one good performance. I'll give him the credit for that. He's the only opposing quarterback. This, this stat was nuts ever. To have more completions, more passing yards, more touchdown passes, and fewer interceptions in a game against Mahomes in a college or pro start. Mahomes has had 127 total starts. No opposing quarterback has ever been better than him in all of those. Um, He had three big-time throws, no turnover-worthy plays. He graded his quarterback number 10 on the week, a little bit more confident and decisive with decisions. The problem was, it was during like, two and a half quarters of the game. You still got to start good and finish good. And that's that's what we didn't see from Wilson. Um, where I've been the most disappointed, though, with the Jets, the defense, they got run all over. They, they allowed 204 yards rushing on 35 carries. And how about this one? They've now lost 87 games when they've fallen behind by 17 points or more. 87. That's yeah. insane. Um, Look, they me- won't come back. This is just this. I don't trust Zach Wilson on the road. I'm just gonna say it. Yeah. I don't trust that. I don't trust the Dol- I don't Russell trust the Broncos. Russell Wilson has looked good. He, he their offense has been fine. He has looked good. Um, Number thirteen in offensive DVOA, thirteen in success rate, eighth in dropback EPA. The defense is dead last in EPOA, dead last in D- uh, DVOA for defense. In fact, this is the worst defense ever tracked by DVOA metrics through four games. Yeah. I like, I look at it like this though. Everyone's going to be betting the chief that the chiefs, the jets, because the game against the chiefs, I mean, the Broncos at a decreased line. Um, I haven't been that impressed with Zach Wilson and the jets. Look, I know they, what's the word that was their defense. And I don't know. I just trusting Zach. Even, even in that game, the mile, defense allowed I, 200 yards thing. rushing. Yeah, yeah, so I'm I wanted to be on the the Jets here a little bit more, but I'm staying away from this one. Uh, I like this next spot, Eric, as we get to 
uh, two of the better teams um, in the NFL that have had very strong defenses over the last couple of years, the Cowboys and the 49ers. This is Sunday night football. Uh, the 49ers are a three and a half point favorite in this game. They became the first team since 2013 to score 30 or more in seven straight games. They wore down that feisty Arizona team, but the offense was fantastic. They had 30 first downs. They only had six total third and fourth downs. Like they didn't even need to get to third down because they just kept going. Purdy was 20 of 21. Um, he was really good. Arizona didn't blitz once against him. He picked them apart. They, you know, w- looking through the game though, I don't think anyone's talking about this. You know, San Francisco is 28th in rushing EPA allowed. They're 29th in rushing success rate allowed. Opposing teams grade successfully on 45% of their runs. The 49ers are 23rd in defensive rushing DVOA. We don't really notice it because they're up in games and they're so far this year, and they haven't played teams that can continue to run the ball and stay consistent with it. They haven't really played a very strong schedule either, but Arizona had a 49.3 success rate running the ball. That's eye-opening to me against better teams because now they're going to play a team like Dallas here. Dallas has a more well-balanced team offensively. They can throw a little bit. They can run on you. And their defense can actually get a stop or two like Arizona couldn't get. Um, I'm a little worried at the the usage of McCaffrey too. McCaffrey's been awesome. Like he's been playing like an MVP. He is on pace right now for 417 touches. He is 98 touches through four games right now. I think they're giving him a little too many. Like, they're giving him the ball a little too much. You don't need those extra bumps and bruises for this guy. They can win these games without him. Um, (laughs) I I like Dallas in this spot at over a field goal. I think their defense showed well last week. I like what I saw from the fill-in for Diggs, who had a couple interceptions there. Um, At over the field goal, I take Dallas because I think they can keep this game close enough. I think they have the template to uh, to beat the 49ers. I Another game, I just want to pass. Like, I just... I look at it like this, you know, teams, both these teams, um, excuse me, teams that at won by 35 points or more, like the Cowboys did 42% ATS the following week, um, teams that won by 35 points or more, oh, sorry, by 30 points or more, 47%, Cowboys O-line banged up, are they going to be able to uh, protect what's going on with this Parsons injury, but he's grabbing like his calf, Diggs is out. Like what's going to go on with the 49ers there, which, and then you saw like, uh, you saw, like I don't trust either one of these quarterbacks. And then, uh, yeah. And pretty was awesome, but he's not as good as that one game was. And and last week, that was an amazing game. No. And I don't trust McCarthy all that much. Shanahan gets really cute in these types of games too. Like against good teams, he does always something a little bit weird. Um, and, and like, not like he's not, obviously he's like, kind of a beat up on the the lesser teams type of guy. Um, this is the this is the type of team though I've been waiting for to play the 49ers because I think Dallas is built to to beat them with what they can do. Man, San Francisco um will like you could see too Dobbs just kept going at their secondary. Like he would just go right to Wilson and Wilson would beat them repeatedly. Yeah. Like same play. They would just run the same play back and he would beat them. I I, I, I I'm with you. I don't trust Dak, but at over the hook, I leaned on Dallas here, plus the three and a half. Monday Night Football, Eric, we finish up with the Packers at the Raiders. Packers are two and two, coming off a game where they just got their asses kicked by your Lions. Love struggled. 
to start. He was one of seven. He was holding on to the ball too long and made some bad decisions. They didn't get a first down on their own until second seven seconds before halftime. They went three and out four times in their first five. And the only one of those that didn't end in a three and out ended with an interception. They had 21 total yards at halftime. Why didn't they try to run the ball a little bit more? I don't understand. It was bizarre. Um, they didn't even run the ball one time on their first two position possessions. And then they're down. And now it's hard to do that when you're down. Um, on the Raiders side, they had the rookie quarterback O'Connell make his first start last year. Struggled early. Two fumbles that were turned into two touchdowns. He got sacked seven times on the day. Six by Mac. Started to get a little more comfortable as the game went on. Um, but, I mean, this offensive line and this offense let Khalil Mack sack them six times in a game without Bosa or Derwin James. They couldn't make any adjustments on him. To me, that's coaching. That's where I get concerned with McDaniels here. Uh, they were just one of 11 on third downs, and we're seeing these videos of fans screaming at Mark Davis, telling him to fire him, Mark. Fire him. They're screaming at him in the uh, in the stands there in the stadium. Talk to us about Monday Night Football, Eric. I definitely lean the Raiders here. Like, look, if this gets two, two would be my buy-in point. Jacobs has looked better. Patriots, not Patriots, Packers struggle defending the run. I think you're going to be able to get Jacobs going. Devontae Adams' revenge game. McDaniels coaching for his job. Packers, this is kind of like a weird schedule for the Packers. Um, they just played that Thursday night game. Now they play the Monday night game. Then they have the bye right after that. It's a little... It's a little bit weird. Um, you know, they are a little banged up in the offensive line. They're without their whole left side against the Lions. Oh, shout um, out. Our guy I, Dobbs has been having a good year so far, though. He's been playing money. Yeah. Um, I don't – I just don't – I just trust the Raiders here. Um, I'll take the it's small. A, it's a better – it's a much better spot. It's a good yeah, Raiders spot. Small dog. I'll take the small home dog here. I think Jacobs is going to get it going. It's a, I think it's a huge Josh Jacobs night. Eric, uh, this week ahead will be a little bit different for us uh, as far as our schedule is concerned. I'm going to be heading out of town. Uh, got a, a wedding. My girlfriend's brother's getting married, so I'll be flying to Dallas uh, for the next few days. I'll be doing some work here and there from there, but I'm not positive what my internet connection and my setup's going to be like. So you're going to hold down the fort, I think, later in the week with the, the winning ticket on Friday with DRF Sportsbook. We'll figure out. Uh, I think you're going to have someone fill in on there or if we have a fill in there. And then on Sunday also, I think you're going to get our buddy Kyle, the DFS bachelor to join you on Sunday morning for the show uh, at 11 AM Eastern time. So if my setup's good and the internet's good, I might pop on there with you guys and hang out. But if not, um, everyone will be able to still see you on Sunday, 11 AM for all of the last minute up to date information for all the games. Yep. I'll be there Sunday with Kyle and uh, you know, we'll uh, hold on the fort while you are enjoying the wedding. Thank you, sir. And, don't forget, everyone, parlayplay.io. If you're listening to this show, you like to play football, you wager on football, you wager on fantasy and DFS, this site is for you. Just make sure you use our promo code. That way you'll get a boost. We get a little bit of a credit for it also. NFL Betting Blitz, parlayplay.io. If you have any questions, just ask me or Eric. Thank you so much, buddy. Uh, good luck to you all week long. We'll all be following you at etof 21 on Twitter and at etof 21 sports everywhere else. And uh, thanks again. For, uh, for pulling a little extra weight this week. Um, good luck in all your plays. So I think we've got Steelers plus the four, Falcons minus the two, Patriots minus the one, uh, Car oh no, Rams. We go there and Vikings. No, you didn't like the Vikings. I didn't like the Vikings. You didn't like the Vikings. You want to go our final one, Titans. You were okay there? 
You got him right, early, we'll, but the number flipped. Yeah, we can go I there. Okay, so we'll put Titans as our fifth one. Steelers, Falcons, Patriots, Rams, and then Titans for our final play. Let's see if we can get over the hump now. We're on uh, at 500. Let's start to, to build over. Thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you again next week with more NFL right here on. Stable Duel app and play today. Opening day of the Keeneland Fall Meet is on Friday, October the 6th. And daily racing form, DRF.com will have past performances and DRF picks for you every racing day there of the Keeneland Meet. So just head to shop.drf.com for anything you need to get you all prepped. I'll have some videos like this on certain days uh, throughout the meet just to share some thoughts and to uh, show you how we dive into those daily racing form past performances. I always use the formulator past performances myself. Remember, you can actually get these for free when you play with DRF bets. So sign up for a DRF bets right now. If, if you don't have a DRF bets account and use the promo code winning, they'll give you all the way up to a $250 deposit match bonus, a $10 free bet, and they'll give you 10 free formulator cards right off the bat. So you want to uh, make sure to use that promo code winning as we get ready for Keeneland Friday opening day. Some big races right off the bat. Let's kind of navigate our way through the card. Take a look. It's opening day. First race of the meet. Let's see if we can get started in, in a, a positive way. I'm looking at the 11 in here. JJ's Joker. This is a horse whose first two races came on the slop. First at Churchill, then at Oaklawn. And honestly, those races were not bad. They were against pretty solid company at, at the end of 2022. Then third career start, showed some improvement, finally got a fast track and put it all together in that fourth career start. And again, showed more improvement there. That was back in February and was off all the way from February 18th until August. So came back in August and... Just had a fine start, was sitting fourth, took up, sort of took a weird step, and then just backed up. Did not persevere with this horse again. Keep in mind, he was favored in that race. And at the very least, that's a race that gets some fitness into him. And this isn't a maiden special weight. It's a high-level maiden claimer. So it's maybe not quite as difficult as a maiden special weight, but this is a $100,000 tag. 
for JJ's Joker. Second start off the bench. He's much better than that last race would suggest. Can he just get back to those efforts he was showing us earlier in the year? JJ's Joker, he is 6-1. to one. If we can get anything over 4, I think that's fair value there. Opening race on opening day of the Keeneland Fall Meet. I will move to race number 5 for the next horse that I'll uh, really be looking at here. I'm going to go to the number 2 in here. Isabel Alexandra. And we can watch her race last time out at Saratoga. She's the number 3 in this race. Hey, Frankie. The voice of Frank Miramati. What a great job he did calling the uh, the races over at Saratoga this year. So we are looking at the number three, Isabel Alexandra. She's actually going to be facing a couple other common rivals. She's a fine start, sort of close up right here, and she's in between horses. That's really the key to the race for me, why I think she might be worth another look in here. Just never seemed like she was really comfortable. You can see she's always caught in between horses here. and sort of just kind of in a tough spot chasing stone silent never really comfortable able to kind of dictate what she wants even here she kind of shuffled back as the horse to the outside has her pinned in a little bit and now she's behind kind of waiting looking around for room as stone silent separates a little bit what i like is that isabel alexandra digs in she really does battle down there and she tries she it's not like she just gives up looks like these horses to the outside are going to roll right by but she does dig in and i think she has an opportunity to maybe improve on the the couple of horses that were in front of her there she'll probably give you better value isabel alexandra the number two in race number five at keeneland on opening day she's eight to one on the morning line i think six or above feels fair there let's move to the seventh race it is the grade two Phoenix six furlong sprint. I like the recent form of the number four in here. Gulfstream way and Norm Cassie has done an excellent job with this one. It's a horse who's always had some ability. He's run some big races here and there, but since moving to this barn, we have three just back to back to back, really big races that all fit with this group on a speed figure scale. What I like about Gulfstream Way is the running style. So he's not a horse that needs the lead. In fact, he's best just sitting right off with a target. He can put himself into the race. He's been very competitive with Bango, with Hoist the Gold, some of the horses in here who are going to be major contenders. Gulfstream Way on the upswing, sits a nice trip, puts himself right into the race. 8-1 to one on the morning line. We can move to race number 8. This one is the grade to Jessamine. So we'll have two-year-old fillies going a mile and a 16th on the turf. There are two horses in here that are intriguing to me. First up, it's uh, Appalate, the nine, whose both uh, efforts were very, very good. This two-year-old filly has been barely defeated in both starts. In her career debut, she finishes second to a horse named Hard to Justify, who just came back on Wednesday and won the Miss Grillo. So that race comes back very live. She looks even stronger now. And then in her second start, she ends up losing to a horse named Way the Risks, who was a favored Chad Brown runner who barely got defeated in her debut. So I think she's kept good company. And what I like is her speed figures are a tad light. So she may be 
overlooked a bit in here. I'm not sure because that hard to justify running line and everybody saw hard to justify just come back. It doesn't bother me that she's a maiden in here because of the fact that we, we know the company she kept. She just lost to a graded stakes winner. And what's really nice about her and the other horse I like in particular, why I'm using them, just the fact that they've shown they can come from off the pace. They can close. I don't think they're going to be on the lead in here. So the nine will be in the mix for me all over at 10 to one, as will the four crown Imperial who's done so little wrong in her career. Now she's going to stretch out. She's got some foundation. She's gone from five to five and a half and then just went six and a half at Kentucky. So when you were able to get that type of trip and do it in the way that she did coming from way out of it like that, they take a swing here. And if you look at the way the race shapes up, you have smooth waves who should be forward from the inside. I'd imagine time to dazzle doesn't want to be too far out of it. That was a, a, Pretty impressive effort up at Woodbine also for time to dazzle and got the big speed figure to prove it. Uh, you'd imagine Tupi stretching out will be close up. Abeyance is going to be forward in here. Bella Hayes wants to be forward. Pharaoh's Wine wants to be close. So I'm thinking the horses that can sit should get really nice trips in here. And Crown Imperial should be able to save some ground. And with, uh, with Appalate here, the horse has even shown a little of positional tactical speed last time out. I just, I don't think she's going to be close in here. I think she'll be coming from farther out of it. Nine and four couple that I'll be using in late exotics. We'll catch uh, the, the prices on them and see which one might be worth playing individually. Let's get to the grade one. Darley Alcibiades, bright work, done nothing wrong. Multiple graded stakes winner. She's four for four. One of the top two-year-old fillies in the division. From a gambling standpoint, though, I think we got to go elsewhere. We got to take a swing against. I'm looking at the number six, Alpine Princess. Her debut race was not bad at all. She lost to a horse named Sam's Treasure, who finished second next time out versus winners. And then she came back in her second start. She stretched out a little bit. And you can watch the race here. That's the, the benefit of these daily racing form formulator past performances. Watch that race here. Just one click away. So... She's the number four in the race that we're watching here. Good start. Not too far behind the pack. Decides that they don't really want to go forward all that much, and they pick a spot for her. I thought she was just always traveling really well in this race. Early, they're starting to get away from her a bit, and then they just kind of ask her to keep up with this field. She's sitting in the what, sixth, seventh spot early on. She's not that far out of it. Maybe four lengths at most but she's just really in a nice spot and you can just see her sort of pull herself into it she's just usually in that like she's in that sixth spot or so for most of this race and most of the race she's only about two or three lengths out of it um traveling well but watch how far she's got to angle out here so alpine princess she's the four and she's what like one two three four five Way out wide. So she loses a ton of momentum, but she's got like another gear here, which to me screams long. Watching her sort of loom up, a lot of horses would have stopped there when they angled out wide, but she's got a little bit more. She gets game, she gets determined, and she gets up late. Alpine Princess. The race has come back strong, so she's... The number six in the Alcibiades, she's eight to one on the morning line. I think she's 
you know, five or above feels fair in here. Brightwork obviously is the super logical and deserving favorite. That September 3rd race, though, at Saratoga, third place finisher came back to win. Already a live race. Alpine Princess is the play for me in the Alcibiades. That is opening day at Keeneland. Best of luck on Friday. I'll have a video for Saturday. There's a all graded stakes. There's an what races six through 10 on Saturday, all graded stakes pick five at Keeneland. So we'll take a look at that. Maybe we can share a couple price horses with you throughout the sequence there. Don't forget DRF bets, free past performances. When you sign up for DRF bets, once you're playing there, every time you wager 50 bucks, you'll get credit for another DRF past performance. So you won't have to be spending money on past performances when you're playing with DRF bets and every day throughout the meet Keeneland, Everything you need to succeed all throughout the fall meet. Shop.drf.com. Best of luck. Let's look at another Woodbine Racing card. We're going to talk about Friday, October the 6th over at Woodbine in that early pick five sequence. It starts in race number two. Remember, on Thursdays and Fridays, there's a $50,000 guarantee in that early pick five. You can play for just a 20-cent based wager, and you can play with DRF past performances for free when you sign up for a DRF bets account. Use that promo code winning when you do. And then every time after you've used this promo code, that'll give you a deposit match all the way up to 250. Every time you bet 50 bucks, you'll get credit for past performance. So if you're playing the races with DRF bets, you won't have to spend money on past performances. I know that's a gripe from a lot of horse players out there. So DRF bets is taking care of it for you. Wager with them, and they'll give you those past performances every time you bet 50. Let's see if we can make some money on Friday at Woodbine. We're going to go to race number two as we look at the formulator style past performances. I thought the number three in here was interesting. Three sunny side up. The best races come. When right on the lead. So I'd love to see this one get back to that aggressive style that we saw at the end of last year in the first race of this year, and then faced a little bit better and kind of tailed off. But I honestly think in this race, there's not much speed in here. He's naturally one of the quicker. So I'm using the three on top all over others to include in here. The number seven, Lucy's child, I thought was interesting. Comes off of a pretty nice win last time out. The eight is going to drop, cut back, and get Lasix for the first time. I'll use combos of three, seven, and eight to kick off the early pick five at Woodbine on Friday. The third race, I'm going to take a stand in here. It's not a big field, but it's pretty contentious. I think the three will take money. The four will take money. The five will take money. But I'm single in the six, Blueberry Fields in, I'm not talking about Justin Fields. Those aren't the, the beautiful fields at the moment. Good first half last week, and then couldn't seal the deal. Poor Justin. But these Blueberry Fields here I'm talking about because I think this five-year-old mare will sit a really nice trip from the outside. You can see that she's just improved, and as she's gotten a little bit more seasoned, she's shown more tactical speed more positional speed. It's not even that the races are going slower early. She's just getting better and and she's just getting into racing shape now. And the way this race projects, Mad Mocha will be forward in here. Nona's little boy will be forward. Those two at least are going. Wouldn't be shocked to see keep grinding up there. And I could 
imagine Blueberry Field sitting a really good trip from the outside. I will single the six, and when I'm building a pick five ticket, that'll just give you a lot of coverage You know, the rest of the way through. The fourth race, going six furlongs on the turf. Humor me, Jim. Looks like the one to catch if she can take to the turf in here. I think because of the prospect of her just getting out front and stealing it, I had to include her on my ticket. The seven, Grace on the green, which went a little too far last time out. If you eliminate that race, she has the best turf form overall. And the eight moral aptitude comes out of some of the better races. So this should be nice class relief for her. I'm going to use seven, six, and eight in race number four. As we continue along to the fifth race in this Friday pick five sequence. This one's a tough one. Couldn't get a real strong opinion in here. So what I wanted to make sure I did was use the first time starters. Because I don't think you need to be a monster to get the better of this group. That means both the four and the eight are in the mix for me. Both for Barnes that are super capable of winning first time out of the box. And these ones look fine in here. Like the eight passion prone. Has a couple siblings. One of them won the debut. So there's some precocity there. There's a barn that's capable of winning first time out and not a monster group. Of the horses with experience, the two I want to use are the two, Red Sneakers, and the three, Spirit of Seattle. I like the fact that both of them have been a little forward and shown some tactical positional speed. Red Sneakers, that that effort last time out, this horse was favored and did have a little bit of trouble early, was involved and then backed up. I think is a little bit better than that running line would suggest. Again, this is not a monster field in here. And uh, Spirit of Seattle's early involvement you've seen in both races before backing up. And this is a softer spot here. So perhaps just sitting in that same position would have him stick a little bit longer. I stacked him 8-2-4-3. As we move to race six, it's the closeout race in this early pick five for Friday, October the 6th. I like the one grand ambition. I just don't see very much speed in this race with the blinkers coming on the inside draw. I think naturally he's one of the quickest horses in here. I hope he's aggressively handled the one grand ambition. The five Mia said is another who has shown the ability to sit close. And with the blinkers coming on, I think that's the plan. I I think they would like to try to do that in here. One five to two Venti. Feels like the horse to beat, the one they'll all have to hold off. And the seven, Dream On Baby, is another that I would include, depending on how deep you want to go. Really, really wide trip last time out. That was the first start in a few months. First start for the new barn. Horses coming in from Gulfstream. Kind of tried to figure out where he fits. Shook the rust off last time out. And a very, very live jockey keeps the faith in here. One, five, two, seven. There's a look at Friday. At Woodbine, quick look at that pick five sequence. Every Thursday, every Friday, the pick five has a $50,000 guarantee. Every Saturday, every Sunday, that thing bumps up to a $100,000 guarantee at Woodbine. Remember, you can play for just a 20-cent-based wager. So if you're sitting there, maybe you don't have a whole ton of money. You have a few bucks left on your account. Maybe you're in between paydays. But you want to get some, you know, you'd love to get a little bit of action and not necessarily hurt your bank uh, all that much. Woodbine's a great place to play with that 20 cent based wager. You can throw some long shots in if you want to maybe play a, a ticket where you're looking to take a big swing. Hope you score on Friday at Woodbine and DRF makes it easy for you. When you play with DRF bets, use the promo code winning 
and they'll give you that nice deposit match bonus and those free pass performances. Every time you bet 50 bucks, you'll get another one. Good luck on Friday at Woodbine. Tampers are racing at Santa Anita, and DRF has you covered. Past performances, clocker reports, DRF picks, everything you need to succeed every day. You're playing the races at Santa Anita. I'm a big fan of those uh, formulator past performances. Those are the ones that I like the most. You can actually get the past performances for free right now. Use the promo code WINNING and sign up for a DRF Bets account. That way, if you're betting you will get free pass performances. Every time you wager 50 bucks, they'll actually give you credit for a free pass performance. And uh, right off the bat, they give you a very nice, enticing deposit match bonus just to sign up. Don't forget to use that promo code winning. Let's get into Friday. I have a couple of best bets for you at Santa Anita. We're looking at October the 6th card. I'm going to look at races three, eight, and nine for my plays on the day. Let's go to the third race. This one is a... Six furlong turf race for Calbred Maiden Special Weights. The five horse is going to be my play. Take care of me. This three-year-old filly just completely missed the break. She got bumped around at the start. She was back to seventh of eighth. And in this race, there was no passing at all. You can watch the race or you can look at the charts and just see where these horses were placed. The horses who were forwardly placed early, they ran well. They won. Not a lot of movement whatsoever. So this filly... Didn't have the best of starts, and she's in a tough spot in a race where there's no passing. But you look at her pedigree, and I think she has the right to improve a little bit. She is a half-sibling to a horse named Tom's Tribute, who's an 11-time winner, three turf wins, earned $280,000, and was stakes-placed on the grass. And you can just see there is a little bit of turf here in this pedigree, along with Tom. I don't think there are any monsters in this group. And the way it shapes up, I could see her sitting a nice trip in here with a lot of the others that have run. They seem to be horses that want to be more forwardly placed. So just because she's run once and she was slow, that doesn't mean that's going to be her running style. But if she's not a rocket ship out of the gate and she's more of a horse who wants to sit and and pounce, well, I'm expecting her to uh, show that improvement here. I think she gets a nice trip and we've seen this barn actually do well with horses that are making their second start. Take care of me. The number five, 12 to one on the morning line. I think if you can get anything around six or above that to me was where, where the value felt about accurate with her. So uh, we'll give her a look there. If we can get anything about six or above, let's move to race number eight on Friday. So we'll look at races eight and nine. The eighth race is an interesting one because we're going to see a familiar horse return, a horse named Practical Move, who is a multiple graded stakes winner, your Santa Anita Derby winner, who had to scratch just before the Kentucky Derby, and we had not seen him since. But he will hopefully use this race as a prep to the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Now, he was possibly going to go in the awesome again on Saturday. This race is shorter. That wasn't necessarily the strongest group in the world either in that awesome again, but this is a like an easier starting point for him. But from a gambling standpoint, this is a horse who hasn't run in a while. 
had some physical issues. He has a bigger goal down the line with the race next out. So I think this is a prime spot to take a shot against a horse like this. To me, it's with the one Tahoe Sunrise, who's starting to really show some improvement now. And I like the way they used his speed when they stretched him out last time. And I think with the inside draw, that just has to be the game plan. Just send him hard. See how far he'll take you. He was a dead heat winner with Mr. Fisk last time out. But Mr. Fisk is much more of an off-the-pace type. And going through the field, it'll really come down to, I think, Newgrange. He's not really... He's shown some speed. I don't know how fast he really is. And the others are all horses that want to be tracking. So I could see the one Tahoe Sunrise really getting a flyer in here. It'll be a second start going long. He gets the inside draw. Looks to be aggressively handled in the ninth and final on Friday at Santa Anita. I'm going to look at the number six in here. This course is eight to one on the morning line. Now, Aradium debuted and was drew the rail in the debut. And the leader in that race flew early. It was kind of in a tight spot. Wanted to go early. There wasn't a lot of room. Seemed to have like, seemed to have some run. And then angled around and just was flat late. But they were flying really early in that race. In fact, she's been in a couple fast races early where they've had some fast early fractions. Same sort of thing happened last time out. And she got hooked wide towards the back. She made this four wide move all the way up the challenge. She was six wide at the top of the lane. And remember, that was against Stakes Company last time out. Now she's back in a, against Maidens looking through this field. I just wasn't terrified by anybody in here. Any of the horses who have run, Willa T, I like, I'm fine using in exotics. You just aren't scared out, off of anyone in here. And the fact that they decided to try Stakes Company in career start number two, thought that at least they felt she was going to be competitive en- enough to not get disgraced in there. So I, I think she just got a little bit more than what we've seen so far. Both of those races are sneaky. She is 8-1 on the morning line. Anything around five feels like fair value if you want to make a win wager there couple plays for Friday at Santa Anita. Best of luck there Friday. Remember, every racing day at Santa Anita, Daily Racing Form has got you covered for the Santa Anita Classic Meet, leading all the way up to the Breeders' Cup. Past performances, clocker reports, and DRF picks. Good luck playing Santa Anita on Friday. Opening weekend at Keeneland means lots of graded stakes races all weekend long. In fact, we have five of them to discuss on Saturday and in all graded stakes pick five. Daily racing form has you covered all throughout the Keeneland meet October 6th through the 28th. PPs and DRF picks. Just head to shop.drf.com. Now, I'm going to take a look at races 6 through 10 on Saturday at Keeneland. And I'm going to be looking at the Daily Racing Form Formulator Pass Performances. This is an all-graded stakes pick five. There's also a pick six that combines races from Santa Anita and Keeneland on Saturday if you want to go back and forth between the two tracks. In this sixth race, five-and-a-half furlong turf sprint, it's the grade two Woodford. I like the five in here, Arzak. Now, this horse has always had some ability. 
you can see he's really showed up with some big races here and there. He just hasn't always been at really consistent, just race to race to race. He's gotten in some trouble here and there. Took him a little while to figure out that sprinting is really his best game. And I'm using the horse R shot as a measuring stick. I think R shot's the horse to beat. Arzak had legitimate trouble in that race at Saratoga on June, uh, July the 26th. Then on August the 23rd, that was a really good effort. Arzak was almost 18 to 1 in winning. He's got some versatility, but in this particular race, he's going to be coming from off the pace. And I think that's where you want to be. So he's in the mix for me for sure. The eight or shot, I think this is the horse to beat. Just based on his form, he has seven straight races where he's beaten less than three quarters of a length. He's adapted to all sorts of different trips. This is a little bit of a step up in class, but really the main step up in class is the two because this is a horse who's been facing legitimate group stakes company. And if he shows up and he transfers his form over, he might be really tough in here, making his third start of the form cycle. Five, eight, two. I'll also use the 11 beer can man, who's just a really nice turf sprinter. He's honest. He's solid. This is the type of game he likes. He'll make his third start of the form cycle. And he lost to a horse named Motorious, who's going to be one of the favorites in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. It's race number six. Some of the possibilities there. In the seventh race, this one is the TCA, the Thoroughbred Club of America. I'm going to single in this race with the number four, Static Fire. I just feel like she's on the upswing. She's fast but she can sit off a little bit she just went six and a half on the turf now she gets back to the dirt going six so I think that'll have a a little more fitness for her I feel like I know most of these fillies Wicked Halo is really honest and certainly capable didn't really fire last time out before that she had a good string of races that she'd thrown together but I'll go elsewhere you know last leaf hasn't really been a winner all that much recently fire on time is quick but not exactly sure what else you're going to get there. And I think status static fire might be the quickest. If Ujiri wants to go static fire can sit. Ujiri kind of tailed off a little until that last race. So I don't really love the rest of this field. And I like the form static fire is in right now would build a late pick five or this stakes pick five around static fire. Then what do you want to do in the first lady where you have an Italian who could be really, really tough. You know, she's always so tough to run down, but White Beam did run her down last time out. And look at what White Beam has done overall. She's really tough to knock. Those are your two to beat. The one that I think, if you're looking for some value in this race, if you're trying to find an outside the box horse, maybe it's EV Jets. She has enough speed to where she could fall into a good trip. She's actually defeated White Beam. She's defeated Jumbly, a couple horses in here who are contenders. As long as she doesn't get caught up in a pace battle within Italian, can she be sitting behind and maybe fall into a nice trip? I'm going to throw her in a pick four and a pick five sequence. In race number nine, it's the grade one breeders futurity. Two-year-olds going a mile and a 16th. I like the six in here quite a bit. Generous tipper. Toss the debut. It's in the turf, on the turf. Career start number two, August the 5th. Right on the lead. But there's a couple others that are forwardly placed, so he backs up. He ends up sitting third. If you look at his running line, he gets shuffled all the way back to seventh in between horses, really bad racing luck. He starts to roll, but the horse who won that day, West Saratoga, had already opened up. 
but generous tipper really kept going and made it close. It was a very nice second. And then he came back out of that race on August the 28th. He drew down towards the inside. He was forwardly placed and they just kind of pushed him through the rail not to get in traffic. His half sibling is a three-time winner. And it's not as if he has like a monster pedigree, but his dam was a nine-time winner at Emerald. And look, she won from five and a half all the way up to a mile and an eighth. And it seems like the first couple siblings of his may have been a little unlucky. Shop American only raced one time. Never really got to see how good she was. Excuses be gone. Had a race. Then was off for five months. Then races. Then's off for a couple months and we never see again. And Egyptian Bride raced twice. Once on the slop, once on the turf, and that was it. Look at the last two though. General Tipper, one. And no uh, Mo Money, Mo Honey, three for three. And has earned 95 buyer speed figures in winning the last two races. I think this pedigree is a little bit better than those first couple runners who just didn't get a chance to really get to the track a whole lot. Generous Tipper should get a trip in here because he showed speed last time out. That was more of being in the race where he's probably the best and he was drawn down inside. He's going to be coming from off the pace in here. I like him. The nine is the horse to beat. That's locked. The one and two are a little intriguing. I mean, all three of the inside horses. I wouldn't really talk you off. If you're on them, but for me, generous tipper, anything around eight to one, it's a win wager for me. I don't really have much creative to tell you in the 10th. I wish I did. I'm going to lean with Annapolis. I'll give him another shot back. He's been a little disappointing this year. He's been your beaten favorite all three times, but two of those races came against Costa Creed. He ran a bang up race in defeat in the four star Dave, one of his best races based on speed figures. He's run well here before at Keeneland. And in that race at Kentucky, last time out, he had to check back in traffic. He was not far out of it. He was looking for a room. He never really got any. Career best effort. Come right here at Keeneland. Sits a good trip from the outside. I like Annapolis. The one master of the seas is the horse to beat. And the five up to the mark. Missed a little bit of training time. But, you know, the one and five are the horses to beat. Hopefully we could get a little value there with Annapolis uh, getting a nice trip to the outside. The two I would use as a wild card. I think this guy's going to be forwardly placed in here. I think they will get aggressive. And if you look at the company that he's been keeping recently, he's faced some of the absolute best horses at up to a mile or, you know, seven furlongs and mile runners. I went nine, one, five, and two at Keeneland on Saturday. There's a look at races six through 10. It's an all graded stakes pick five. Remember, you can get these daily racing form past performances for free when you sign up and you play with DRF bets. Use that promo code winning and they will give you 10 free formulator cards right off the bat. And then every time you bet 50 bucks, you'll actually get credit for another card. All meet long, Keeneland. Everything you need to succeed. Good luck on Saturday. It is a big, big day. No coop loop this week. It's just going to be me for this week in wrestling, but we do have a lot of ground to cover and the big news in the world of wrestling. So we can start over with AEW was 
Edge. On this day, I see clearly Edge is going to AEW. He debuted in AEW on Sunday night at the Wrestle Dream pay-per-view. He is going by the name Adam Copeland now. That Wrestle Dream pay-per-view was really good on paper. Another one of those just like it shows where there was 14 matches. They had four on the pre-show and then just kind of running through the card, MJF. Held on to the Ring of Honor World Tag Titles. Eddie Kingston continues to be the World Championship for Ring of Honor. Chris Statlander defeated Julia Hart. The Young Bucks are going to be the number one contenders for the uh, AEW Tag Team Championship. Swerve picked up the win over Hangman. Knocked him in the head. Ricky Starks beat Wheeler Yuta. They picked up a big win over the weekend too. So I think Starks and... uh, Starks and Big Bill are going to get a tag team title shot coming up soon. And then the Don Callis family, Takeshita, Osprey, and Sammy Guevara beat Jericho and the Golden Elite. FTR beat Aussie Open. And Christian beats Darby Allin. Following that, Edge debuts, now known as Adam Copeland, is going by his real name in AEW. And this is cool for Edge. You know, he's 50. And he's a guy who's had injuries. His career was cut short. And then he's been able to come back now. He's always been one of my personal favorites. This is a good get for AEW. He's just someone who seems like a really good guy in the locker room. Coming off of what what went down with CM Punk, there was all this negative buzz and negative energy. And a guy like Adam Copeland gives you the opposite of that. He's someone who he feels like he's he's kind of had a like miss time because part of his career was taken from him. And now he gets the opportunity to wrestle with all these new opponents, all these young guys that, you know, he gets to challenge himself with fingers crossed that he can stay healthy. He had a really fun segment with Christian right away. Christian's been doing some really great work as a heel so far in AEW. And the uh, dynamite show opened with, Jericho and Omega backstage. Renee Paquette was interviewing them. It's the four-year anniversary of AEW Dynamite. And they talked about all this Canadian energy. They had a match later with the Don Callis family. And then here comes Adam Copeland. So he says hello to Jericho. He says hello to Kenny Omega. Thought it was kind of a weird way maybe to bring him out for the first time. He debuts on your pay-per-view. Maybe you recap it. Maybe you show some sort of a video package. And then the first time he comes out would be for the live crowd. I think they, that would be pretty cool. Nonetheless, it isn't anything bad. Just sort of nitpicking. I do that a lot with the production stuff. That's just the things I look for and I'm, I'm noticing. So we had uh, our opening match, Ray Phoenix versus Nick Jackson. This was a really good one. These guys wrestled on, was it the first episode or one of the first uh, few episodes of Dynamite? And they've had a, a really nice back and forth, and they have with the tag teams too, with the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks. Phoenix picks up the victory here. This thing went about 14 minutes or so, continues on with the uh, international championship. We then had a video of Adam Cole going to visit Roddy Strong. First off, you couldn't hear anything the first time they played this. 
So they show us this whole video. It's like two minutes or so. You cannot hear any of the audio. In it was real slapstick comedy. Roddy Strong bought Adam Cole a scooter so he can ride around on it because he's injured. And then they make Adam Cole move furniture around. I didn't. I did not think this was funny at all. Some of the ones with Cole and MJF have been funny. They've been better. I did not think this was funny. I like the Roderick Strong stuff. I think his character's been great. I like the next Strong stuff. I just didn't think this whole thing didn't do it for me. If it did for you, great. This one uh, just did not for me. We do get Wardlow back. We haven't seen him since June. He comes back, big squash. And this was nice because when we saw him last, the crowds were really cooling off on him. He was not being booked well. This was a fresh start for him, it feels like. Now let's just put him in a good spot, give him one or two weeks more of squashes, and then put him into a nice spot. Then uh, Renee interviewed Callis backstage. uh, Injury for Sammy Guevara, so Kyle Fletcher fills in later in the night in the tag team matchup. Then the announcers let us know that there were technical difficulties at TBS. So they rerun the video earlier, the Adam Cole Roderick Strong video that I didn't like. That I, it was a polarizing video. They must have really thought it was great because they played it twice on a show that's usually jam packed and hard pressed for a minute or two. They re aired this thing. Quick match, Butcher and Blade and Kip Sabian versus the Acclaimed. Claimed and uh, Billy Gunn win and hold on to those trios tag team titles. They win that thing in six minutes. We continue on with Tony Storm's character. Timeless Tony Storm. We got to get RJ City more involved. I would love it if he's her valet or he accompanies her to the ring. We got to hear Brian Danielson react to the match that he had with Zack Sabre Jr. And how... He feels like he hasn't really ever got to wrestle that style match in front of AEW fans until Sunday. And, you know, he wants uh, another one. He wants to know who the best technical wrestler is. He got the win over Zack Sabre Jr. Now, we had a video package on Swerve and Hangman Page. And we had Bullet Club Gold come out with Austin Gunn and... Uh, the Gun Brothers and Juice Robinson. They called out MJF. I thought the segment was okay. I mean, a- everything MJF does is super entertaining. To me, it just feels like he's kind of moved from what was like an A or A plus a lot of the time to a B minus. It's sort of what happens when you become a babyface. Your material isn't quite as good. Doesn't get to be as sharp or as scathing. And we're building now with MJF and with Jay White and Jay White called him out and challenged him to a match which is going to be in six weeks so they're going to have a long time to build this thing up and to fill TV time between now and then we had an interview with Hook and Orange Cassidy backstage nothing much there tag team match Omega and Jericho pick up the win over Fletcher and Takeshita Remember, Fletcher had to fill in for Sammy Guevara, who's hurt. It was a good match, though, and, and Fletcher looked really good. 
Then after the match, Powerhouse Hobbs attacks Omega and Jericho. And it looks like he may now be aligned with Don Callis. Which could be good for Hobbs. Always liked Hobbs. Thought he's kind of underutilized a little bit. They sort of start and stop with him. They start and stop with him. Now hopefully they'll be a little more consistent with his push. They actually gave a really brutal chair shot right to the head of Kenny. I don't think it was the smart thing to do. I know they're going for effect, but I don't know. I didn't love it. We're checking in uh, backstage again with Renee. They're setting something up with Max Caster and, and MJF. Like Caster's stalking him online or annoying him. And it feels like there's going to be a point where MJF needs help because Adam Cole is not around and he's going to need to go and ask Max for help and the acclaimed. Little promo from Samoa Joe that was very good. Sitting down, talking about his future. Tony Storm picked up a win over Sky Blue. She, yeah, she was interesting here. Um, calling out her shots, let's just say that. Then a couple of small clips here. Uh, Stokely Hathaway had an interview. Just talked about Eddie Kingston. Then we had a clip of Ricky Starks and Big Bill, Big Bill winning that uh, match It'll likely set them up for a tag team title match. And there's going to be a Title Tuesday Dynamite next week where they have a pretty stacked show and WWE is going to counter-program that with their normal NXT show and they're going to load that thing up. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Final segment, Adam Copeland comes out. He talks about all the opponents he'd love to face. Moxley, Omega, Miro, Hobbs, Jay White, Juice Robinson. And then he called out his friend Christian. Uncle Jay. He said his daughter, she said, you need to go have fun with Uncle Jay. And he says, Christian, I've seen what's happened to you. This isn't you. Let's have one more run together as a tag team. He can't believe what Christian did to Sting. Christian used to look up to him. And Copeland says, yeah, let's go show FTR and the Young Bucks. Let's show them all what the best tag team really looks like. And they hug. And then right as they finish hugging, Christian leans over and says, go F yourself. It was good. It was good. Christian's doing some really good work here as a heel. So a big Tuesday coming up for AEW. They're going to have title Tuesday. And WWE is going to have a big day as well. But they're leading into... WWE Fastlane coming up this weekend. Let's preview that show. It's just a short show on paper. We have the LWO Latino World Order versus Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits. So we're getting some development and some movement now with Lashley and the Street Profits. I like the fact that we're moving forward here with these guys now and they've been telling a little bit of a story. I feel like you want them to win and look strong and establish them first time out of the box here. You have a couple different tag team situations on this show. Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso team up for the first time, and they're actually in a tag team championship match against the Judgment Day. I think this will be more to further storylines. I'm not sure if Cody and Jey are going to be the tag champs, but it's a, a very intriguing match. You have a triple threat for the women's championship with EO Sky, with Asuka, and with Charlotte Flair. This one should be really, really good. Doesn't feel like it's time for EO to lose that thing quite yet. 
John Cena, and L.A. Knight. Yeah, let me talk to you. L.A. Knight, how about this? Getting the John Cena rub against the bloodline, but it's the Jimmy Uso solo Sokoa bloodline. I think it's fine with Jimmy Uso taking the fall here. Seth freaking Rollins, Shinsuke Nakamura for the world title, last man standing. Just a short show on paper, but it's a fun one. It's good, and they've been having really good builds, really good storyline builds. Over on NXT, coming off of a fantastic pay-per-view they had last weekend where Trick Williams won the North American Championship, but then he loses it back on NXT just a few days later because Rhea tells Dom, if you don't win this thing back, don't bother showing back up. Trick Williams is a star in the making, though. Him and Carmelo, I, I like that they've been teasing something with the two of them against each other, but when they come up to the main roster, they got to be together because the two of them together was a great, a great package. We had a fatal four-way for the tag team titles. The family, Tony D and Channing Stacks, they end up securing those titles. Noam Dar picked up the win over Butch in the British Rounds Rules match for the NXT Heritage Cup. I am such a fan of Dragunov. There were two matches on this card that were amazing. Oh, don't forget about that Baron Corbin Braun Breaker match to kick off the card where uh, Baron picks up the win. Shamazi. Then you get Dragonoff, Carmelo going 21 minutes plus, and Dragonoff is your new NXT champion. Becky Lynch, Tiffany Stratton, Extreme Rules match. Becky wins, but this was the put Tiffany on the uh, map match. Incredible effort from her. Just a wow-type performance. She's got it all. She really does. She's going to be a massive baby face soon, too. You can just sense it with her. So that was Fastlane. And we come off of NXT. Or that was, excuse me, that was NXT No Mercy. And now we're going to go into Fastlane. So just last week. We had AEW and NXT shows. This week we'll have WWE. And then on Tuesday, we're going to have a title Tuesday show. NXT might be the best wrestling show on TV right now. They just have so many big stars that are checking in. Right off the bat, we find out the next challenger for Becky Lynch. And all... Different women come out. Lyra Valkyria, Indy Hartwell, Roxanne Perez. It ends up being Lyra Valkyria as your new number one contender to face Becky down the line. I thought the match with them was all really good. Roxanne starting to get more and more aggressive. The NXT Women's Breakout Tournament begins. So you have a full tournament. You've got Becky there and all these women battling it out for Becky's title. And then you've got Rhea Ripley showing up. They're doing a great job with the women on NXT. Butch and Tyler Bate pick up a win over Gallus. I'd love to see this this duo uh, a tag team in NXT. Ilya Dragunov cut a promo. And then Trick Williams comes out. The two of them stand together as champions. But Trick ends up losing that title a little later on in the night. He gets interrupted by Carmelo. 
and Dominic Mysterio. I thought it was really good, all these moving pieces around, but these are the top some of the top guys right now in NXT. What else did we have on NXT? Yeah, we saw Kiana James actually cost Roxanne Perez the match, so it looks like they're setting up uh, an angle there. Becky Lynch against Tegan Knox on Raw Monday. Tegan's getting a chance. That should be really cool for her. Braun Breaker I'm trying to get in the inside the head of Carmelo Hayes. And we're going to get Dragonoff Baron Corbin as our next feud. Gigi Dolan picks up the win over Blair Davenport. It was a roll-up, so it looks like that'll just be starting point. We'll we'll uh, continue on with more there. And Kalani Jordan gets the win in the NXT Breakout Tournament quarterfinals. So she moves forward. We get to see the new side of JC Jane and Tia Hale with the goth-looking Tia Hale. They win. So the two of them together are a tag team. And Carmelo Hayes tells us that next week, John Cena is showing up at NXT to be in Carmelo's corner. So, wow. And Carmelo will face Braun Breaker, and John Cena is going to be in his corner. How about that? So, next week, we got Carmelo versus Braun Breaker. John Cena's there. Cody Rhodes will be making an announcement, and Asuka's showing up against Roxanne Perez. This is a really big deal. And they will be going up against AEW Title Tuesday. In the main event, because of J.D. McDonough, Rhea Ripley, and the distraction, Damian Priest gets the Money in the Bank briefcase, Finn Balor's there. Too much for Trick Williams to handle. And Dominic Mysterio wins back the North American Championship. So we had a quick little addition this week without Coop Loop, but there's a lot going on. So I wanted to make sure we were able to uh, catch up with everything happening in WWE, AEW, and NXT. That's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. Thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out with us. Hope you had a, uh, a good time here, and we wish you the best of luck playing the races this weekend, wherever you're playing at Keeneland, Santa Anita, Woodbine. There's big races all over the place, and we always appreciate you making That's What G Said part of your week. Good luck this weekend. We'll talk to you again real soon.